morning programme here on Midwest Radio. Another Saturday morning, a bank holiday mm. weekend, Saturday for morning for some <laughs> morning. But you, well, it's just uh, another day at the office it for sure you. It sure is. Because it you're sure uh, hopping between East Coast and West Coast I am, at the moment. Down, yeah. I've, I've seen enough of the, the uh, N4 now at this stage. Okay. But so we're Bloom, first Bloom. of all, of course. We're bang slap in the middle of it sure today. Are. Opened on Thursday, running until Monday. And right, today until Monday. is the only day that you're not, not there, there but thankfully you're here right. <laughs> to tell you all about it and it's absolutely fantastic bloom is beautiful this year the weather's been absolutely gorgeous i've been there since wednesday and um the the gardens is 22 show gardens this year 13 small postcard gardens which are designed by amateur gardeners right throughout the country um, and they're quite nice and very small they're only kind of maybe uh, for memory I think about 5 metres by 2 metres right. small postcard but they've been designed by amateur gardeners so it kind of shows people I suppose what what any, any individual can do in their own garden and, and they're all slightly different with different themes um, and so on but the 22 show gardens in particular are of an exceptionally high standard I have to say this year and there's something in it for everyone the winning garden this year is a garden um, called Transition okay. and uh, it, it's I suppose it's probably not a garden for everybody but it, you know it, it's one of those gardens that has a lot of very natural you know natural birch trees elderflowers um, lots of mosses rock but it's got an unusual water feature in that it, it's celebrating the tidal the coastal is this aspect. So, so this is the one that is inspired by the Connemara coast or something it like that? It is indeed. And so it's got a lot of the Connemara rock, but the water is tidal. So every hour or every kind of hour and a half, the water disappears from the landscape. Oh, that's very clever. comes back in. So the water is actually pumped out yeah. uh, over a period and then it flows back in. Slowly. Well, no, it actually comes in quicker than it than it goes out. Okay. So it kind of mi- mimics the tide, right. this tidal. Um, so, you know, when you visit the garden, you can see that the, the pond or the water area can be full of water with small outcrops of rock and then 90 minutes later, it's back We're as if there's islands. Fancy. Yeah, so it's actually a very dramatic, very nice... It's a, I, I particularly like it, um, but just chatting to people at the show, you know, some people are saying, ah, no, that's not for me, that's, you know, I prefer the I, real yeah, colourful one yeah, over Yeah, you see, the, and I suppose there are lots of people who come and, you know, flowers are their thing, yes. and uh, they do love the big show. They do. Yeah, so do. I suppose when not, what, maybe if that's not uh, being presented, uh, you know, but then I suppose these things are all subjective. Absolutely. And we all have, uh, but that's, that's well worth looking at. It's a, a garden called Transition. Transition. And um, Oliver and, and Lash uh, Schumann, um, they're both uh, Irish nursery people. They design that garden and, and definitely it, it's an outstanding garden. If you do like something, I suppose, a little bit more um, contemporary, more, you know, that little bit of elegance, there's a really nice garden called the Urban Retreat. Um, I have it up on my Facebook page. I have mm-hmm. it on my um, Twitter account as well. That's the one with all the greens and whites. It is. And I it's, love that. That's, it's a really, really nice garden uh, designed by Alan Rudden. Um, I feature, we featured him last year as well and Alan has put together really I suppose celebrating urban gardening so you know it can be living in a, in a town centre living in an apartment area living somewhere in Dublin or, or one of the cities throughout the country and really he's put a lot of effort into the functionality of the garden so there's a lot of seating areas there's an outdoor fireplace and there's some covered structures where you can sit in at night time there's a dining area but the planting is quite good it's very simple uh, two colours, mainly green and white. So he's got a lot of foxgloves and astilbes and white alliums and flower, contrasting against the dark colours of pines, ground-covering pines and ferns. So 
really simple but very eye-catching. Mm. And Liscanor Stone from, from, from the West Coast, yeah. again, which is lovely. Um, and he's got nice pleached trees, which are trees that have a central stem and they're trimmed to create like a hedge up in the, up in the sky. So 15 feet up in the air, you've got this canopy of foliage. So the trees are specially, they're imported from Italy. Uh, 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 sorry, so are pleached trees, is that, is that a type of tree or is it just no, it's cut? it's the it's way it's, it's actually, trimmed, yeah, sorry. it's the way it's trimmed. So it's, they're called pleached pleach trees. So can they, he particularly used um, Carpinus betulus, which is the hornbeam tree, a very easy tree to grow, but it's trained in a particular way that you get the foliage right up on top and this very slender stem and the, the actual width of the hedge is only maybe a foot in diameter. So you'll see the pictures if you go onto yeah. my website, onto the um, Facebook page or Twitter account, you'll see the pictures of that. Really thought that was quite a nice garden. If you like something showy, then maybe go and look and have a look at Our Lady's Children's Hospital, the Crumbling Garden. Um, Anthony Ryan and Kieran Dunn have done a, a particularly nice garden. I feature that on Ireland EM on Friday and we walk the garden and it's full of colour so it's just a ball of colour between lupins Oh yeah I see it has a baby grand piano in it It has and and Judy (laughs) Judy Moran uh, she's actually a niece of of Kieran the designer she's singing um, oh, you were talking lovely. about um, Phil Linnett earlier on. Yes, so she's, we didn't she, quite get to him this morning, but we will next Well, week. you can go to Bloom because Judy actually is singing a lot of uh, Purple Rain. I heard her singing. <laughs> and the garden has lots of, of lovely colours, purples and blues. It's this calming effect. Um, and they've got the baby piano and she's playing away all day. You know, in the, if it's going to rain, I think it's promised to rain a little bit today. So that might curtail that slightly. Uh, but a really nice garden. Again, beautiful water feature on that. Newbridge Crystal. Um, commissioned a lot of musical pieces art art pieces and they're on the, the garden as well so that's well worth a view uh, but really to be honest dear to the, the gardens this year there's something for everyone really each of the gardens my own college the botanic gardens they mm. have got a garden there john mulhern and the team the students came together uh, to put in a garden for pieta house and v- lovely garden, you know, celebrating. There's a circular walk, walk. I think I saw that as well. It did look really stunning. It, really right. nice. Yeah. Very nicely planted. Um, and, you know, it, it symbolises that darkness into light and that Pieta House are, are all about this circular path and, you know, emphasising that walking and, and uh, areas for kind of de-stressing and retreating in the garden. So that's quite a nice garden. I, I photographed a good bit of that garden as well. So really, look, at, it's a great day out. Yeah. Um, and great I, buzz yesterday. There's just one, I suppose, that, uh, before we move on that I, I felt was particularly uh, of interest. And I, I, for those of you who might know, I work with Western Alzheimer's during the week. Uh, there's a dementia-friendly garden this year as well, yeah. um, which I think will be of a huge interest to lots and lots of people. It's and a great, lovely great garden. To see that. Beautiful yeah. colours. Um, again, uh, quite that, tactile as well. It and, is. And I, I can see how it's evoking, you know, lots of memory and um, how that has kind of been incorporated into the garden. Exactly. So well worth a look. Yeah, so that's, yeah. And really there's something, that, and the, the Dogs Trust have a garden for our dog lovers. I think I so said that last week. And Cloud Canine. And Cloud Canine, yeah. So again, it's a, a relatively small garden, but again, it celebrates having yeah. pets uh, in in the garden, and they have things like an outdoor grooming area for oh, your right, dog, so okay. you can shower your dog before you bring him indoors, <laughs> towel him down, all that good stuff. There's some tunnels in the garden for the dog to run through. There's some elevated areas where the dog can perch himself up and 
view the landscape. Um, There's a water, a continuous water trough there for fresh water being poured um, all the time for the dogs. So there's some interesting things. There's something for everyone, really. And it's a great family day out. um, It's a super buzz. And And lots of food and all other things as well, not just gardens, of course. Yeah, and if people are in bloom, my my advice really is to go early because I travelled up 8 o'clock yesterday and, you know, it was half 11, 12 o'clock before I got into the show. So traffic uh, in particular, it's busy. Um, the the other thing is what was the other thing I was going to say that I'm there tomorrow Sunday so I'm giving two talks tomorrow okay uh, quarter what two are we, what are we talking about so I'm going to talk about garden design is one Excellent. of the and that that I did it I did that talk yesterday and it went down a storm yeah. and got a great reaction to it so I'm going to repeat that tomorrow um, at a quarter to one I think I'm on and then I'm back on again around three o'clock and we're talking color. Planted containers, window boxes, hanging baskets, how to get a bit of colour in the garden. You know, all that. An old favourite of the programme. We could do that one in our sleep. Well, I don't know about you. Well, you might be. I I won't profess that I can. But um, we are in a bank holiday weekend, of course. So uh, for people who aren't uh, perhaps going to make it to Bloom, uh, there are still lots of other things to be be done as well. Look at that bit of rain that we've got in the last uh, overnight has been very welcomed as well. And it really has been a, a a fantastic gardening year you know I, I can't remember a year that's been as good since March April May has just been terrific and, and the growers were remarking on that in the gardens that you know sometimes they have to import some plants for bloom mm. you know roses might not be in flower or uh, you know some of the more summer flowering plants wouldn't be in bloom but this year they're using all Irish plants because all the roses are in flower, all the herbaceous perennials right, are in flower. It. If anything, things are nearly ahead of, well ahead of where they normally would be. Um, so it's it's just been a great gardening year. Caterpillars are starting us off. Caterpillar. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Uh, so they're on a bit of a feast. It would appear just breaking out on my kale and turnips. How do we stop them? Okay. Well, look at uh, you know you're going to you're going to get lots of of. Um, caterpillars and green fly and white fly naturally enough coming out in this weather so you can use a, any of the organic based sprays so I would use the PY spray would be very effective on caterpillars and um, you generally get them on the surface of the leaves and also underneath the white butterfly generally lays the eggs on the underside of the leaf so do check the the underside as well and spray that so the PY spray is very safe to use it's kale and, and what was the other uh, thing? turnips turnips oh yeah well, the, the turnips leaves, are, presumably yeah, yeah. They, it would be they, so they're probably still at kind of quite a small stage um, so the PY spray would be perfect to use apply it underneath and over the top of the leaf and that'll control them apply it in dry weather it needs to dry onto the surface of the leaf and um, that's very safe to use Okay now how do we keep birds away from apple trees? Well the only way really would be to, to net, net them, them. And, and they really shouldn't be you know they're not going to bother the, tr- the apples until uh, coming up to the to the, you know the stage that the, the, the uh, apples are ripening so the birds will leave them alone they're still at, at fruitlet stage at, the, at this stage they're only the size of a marble so they're not going to be affected by birds until probably late July August sort of period and they tend to attack the red varieties like of Beauty of Bath or Katie first the softer apples mm. um, so maybe net those over or pick them that little bit earlier the birds tend to pick them just as they're ripening as the sugars begin to form in the fruit um, so a little bit of netting over them or just take the fruit early pick them pick them early and let them ripen in, indoors OK and I, I know we have another question in relation to apple trees in a moment now well actually maybe we'll spread on down to that doing great this year uh, yeah and I suppose that that is the question lots of trees have lots and lots of fruit on yeah, them they do. so people are generally wondering 
you know, what do we do with all this this small fruit now? Is there going to be a natural rate of attrition? There is. As we mentioned before a couple of weeks back, there's a thing called the June drop, which will happen around the middle towards the end of June, where a lot of the smaller fruits will the tree will abort them anyway. They'll drop them around the base. Um, so really, there's nothing to be done at this time of year. Um, with the dry weather, you know, it depends what the weather's going to be now for the next couple of days. But if we certainly get back into a dry period, you could irrigate or water the trees really well because as the fruit starts to form, they do use plenty of moisture. You could also feed them, give them an extra feed. So a rose fertiliser or something like the Pro 6 around the base of fruit trees is a good idea this time of year. And if you are treating your roses with a little bit of rose clear, it's a good idea to spray the fruit trees as well because they often get caterpillars can caterpillars can attack the um the leaves as they have done with the kale and the turnips you can often get green fly on on um fruit trees um and also particularly during wet periods or humid periods you get things like uh, a black spot on on the leaf of apples so apple scab so it's a good idea to use a preventive spray like rose clear and remember that the fruit aren't going to to ripen for another 2 to 3 months so it's perfectly safe to use that so whenever you're giving your roses a little bit of TLC Give the, give the apple, give apple trees, trees and general fruit in general um, a light application of the rose clear as well. Okay, so the person. So a bit of watering, a bit of feeding, and, and an occasional spray. And really, there's nothing else to be done. After June, after the June drop, if, if still there was a lot of fruit on the trees, yeah. you could certainly thin out some of the fruit, say in July. Um, thin them back to you know a small cluster but we'll deal with that maybe late at the end of June we'll chat about that and what to do with the apple trees so really at the moment it's just watering feeding an occasional spray and uh, it's going to be a bumper harvest year Okay, great stuff we look forward to that so yeah so just sit and look they're ready for making the apple cider with the coronet apples with the coronets yeah yeah. very good what are the plants used in the flower beds park which you know in Westport Uh, they seem to have come back year after year this person is part of a tidy towns group and they're looking so for some ideas to plant in beds. Oh, yeah, and it's one of the criteria in tidy towns now. I suppose the tidy towns committees and, and the judging, the national organisation are encouraging lots of the tidy towns into sustainability. So they're looking for plants rather than your traditional bedding, bedding plants, plants, your begonias and yeah. busy that you chuck out at the end of the year and start again. They're looking for more uh, perennial planting. So, you know, in Westport, from memory, there are things like um, the Crocosmria, the Lucifer, the Mount Brescia, the lovely red, scarlet red Mount Brescia that comes into flower in July and flowers well into the autumn. And particularly for tidy towns that want the gardens looking really well for the summer, focusing on those summer flowering um, perennial plants. So things like penstemons would be really good. Again, they come in a whole range of different colours and flower every year. Some of the um, chrysanthemums are, are quite good. The white Shasta Daisy type flowers are quite good. Lavender is excellent. Hostas would be good. They're short, colourful. Uh, another great plant called Virginia, which again is low clump forming mm. really good ground covering geraniums are, are lovely at the moment Johnston's Blue is in full flower at the moment and there are lots of pink varieties as well and white varieties so any of the cottage garden perennial type plants planted in groups of threes or fives tends to be good and then in the autumn underplant them with some spring bulbs that's really where a lot of the tidy towns yes. committees are, are going towards more of that perennial planting because they come back year, year after, after year. year they generally multiply in size and they're 
generally easy to maintain. There's very little, yeah. you know, pest and, and disease control with them. And once they get established, you don't have this continuous deadheading of the flowers and having to water them on a regular basis that you have with bedding plants. Know, and slugs tend to be less of a problem. Because I know the hanging baskets look fantastic, mm. but there's a fair amount of maintenance to there them. There is. And it's to get the balance right. Yeah. I mean, you can, and I think Westport do um, that very yeah. well. They, they they also have the lovely hanging baskets and window boxes and along by the, the um, river yeah. through the town. So, you know, and the, and the kind of concentrate that in that area and, keep, and it's easier to maintain and then the, on the, the wider area on the outer areas of, yeah. of, of on the entrance to Westport you'll see lots of the beds done with mm-hmm. the perennial flowers which are just a little bit more easier to maintain and of course once they're planted you have them back year after year, year. so really a kind of a focus on on those herbaceous perennials Perials. and I see a lot of them in bloom this year a lot of the gardens are a huge focus on more perennial planting plants that come back year after year the Victorian garden I didn't mention that oh, yeah. um, that's well worth a, a visit the Victorian garden is right beside the show gardens at bloom it's Michael D's uh, official vegetable garden so you have all the um, herbs there You've got lots of, there's some great green manures planted. Uh, so when I was there on Wednesday, the uh, borage was just coming into flower, the lovely blue borage. Um, they had a whole huge area planted. And the idea is it's, it's really for the pollinators to encourage the pollinators, the bees into the garden. They'd also, the phacelia, which I often mention, the blue phacelia in full flower and mm. covered in bees. Uh, but they also have a great herbaceous border. So a cottage garden border and there's some fantastic plants there. So when I was there, the primulas were in full flower. There was a a great plant called Alstromeria, which is the daylily that was in full bloom. Beautiful red flowers, really colourful, but lots of other plants yet to come. So if tidy towns or people interested in doing beds with more perennial plants, if you are in bloom, pop into the Victorian garden, have a look at the herbaceous borders there. There's some fantastic, there's hundreds of plants in it and they're all... Uh, plant in a way that you have colour nearly all year round. So there are plants that flower in the spring, summer, autumn and, and through the winter as well. Very good collection. But a lovely vegetable garden as well. Strawberries were in flower while, once, oh, while I was there. Uh, potatoes were about a foot and a half high out of the ground. Uh, everything meticulously done. I was going to say, oh, there must be a tea. <laughs> there wasn't there. a weed inside. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. Dare and, one, poke one's its head up. <laughs> and even the uh, herb gar- garden they have there, they had some unusual uh, plants. So they had chocolate mint and had some other variety of mint. That I, oh, banana mint. Okay. Banana mint. <laughs> I'm, not so, I'm not so sure about that now, but anyway. Uh, and all the oreganos and uh, marjorams and all of those plants yeah. were really flourishing and lots of them flowering. And it's a lovely uh, walled garden. It's open to the public anytime. It's free to go into the Victorian Garden. It's run by the OPW. There's a lovely tea shop there as well. Um, so if you are in the Phoenix Park or going to Dublin someday or visiting the zoo, pop into the Victorian. It doesn't cost you a penny to go in there. And you'll spend an hour walking around the gardens. They've lovely fruit trees on the walls, so, so cherries and plums and apple so trees. So that kind of espalier. Espalier, yeah. And and you know you'll get some ideas in terms to how to train apple trees and thing. And the gardeners are always there for a chat. So if you're they hope you do, you know, and you can ask them how how do you do this and how do you do that and what's the name of this plant? And a lot of the plants are actually named, not everything, but there's quite a number of the plants named in the Victorian garden. So it's well worth a visit. Okay. Now, somebody's got a large garden with a boundary hedge of silver edge okay. and they'd like some wind protection inside the garden to protect shrubs and flowers. So they're wondering, how do they go about achieving this? Okay, so it's an exposed garden, yeah. possibly, yeah. Um, well, internally, to, if you want to create a bit of shelter, you can use plants like 
the pampas grass is excellent. If you put a cluster of five or six plants of pampas grass on the windward side of the bed, that gives fantastic shelter. The pampas grass will grow to seven, eight feet in height. It'll form a mini hedge that needs no clipping and um, it'll protect any plants to the the lee side of the wind. Mm. Formiums you could use as well, the New Zealand flax. They're quite good. Um, I was in a garden recently in Lewisburg and that's exactly what the customer had done. They just planted a line of uh, formiums and uh, planted other shrubs in front of it and, and the shelter that was provided by the formiums was excellent. The plants were just jumping out of the ground even though the, you could throw a stone and it would drop mm. in the sea. I mean, it was that close, close to the coast. So yeah, really exposed well, so garden. Just, just the formiums, New Zealand flax, yeah. And they come in a whole range of uh, ornamental varieties so you don't have to go for the, the common uh, formium 10x there are varieties like dazzler um that are tricolor that have lovely variegated foliage but are dead hardy and, and really tough and same with the pampas grass they come in different varieties from pumilla which is a dwarf variety only growing four feet to taller varieties that'll grow seven eight and nine feet so putting some plants like that that are robust and hardy and that tolerate the the wind um, on the windward side, as it were, of the, the beds is a great way to shelter plants and create that internal hedge in the garden. Hydrangeas would be another good choice. So plants like that that are kind of robust and hardy and would provide some shelter and, and filter the wind and protect the plants. And then you can have the more delicate ones inside. Exactly, that's the idea. That's, you know, it makes a huge difference. Now, uh, you mentioned banana and chocolate mint there yeah. a few minutes ago. Somebody's just got regular mint, I think, <laughs> but they want to know how you get rid of it. It is spread over a large area. And that's the thing with mint. It is a ground-covering plant. It's a, it, it produces its underground stems and they just keep popping up, particularly the common variety, which is very vigorous. We always say with mint, if you're going to grow it in the garden, put it in a big pot and sink the pot into the ground. Now, if you want to get rid of it, you can just spray it off. If you use Weed Free 360, onto the foliage now of the mint. Make sure it just goes onto the mint plant itself. Don't spray it anywhere else. Um, that'll kill the mint within 10 days. Now, an odd bit might reappear here and there, and if you just persist with the weed-free, mm. that'll eliminate it completely. So mint is a plant that you do have to... Now, funny enough, they had one of the plenty of space in the Phoenix Park, the 70 acres <laughs> there. They might be able to afford uh, a small yeah, bit of space yeah, here yeah. and there, yeah. And, uh, but they keep on top of it. But uh, yeah, when you're growing mint, it's often better maybe to put it into a, a large pot, sink the pot into the ground, and that helps to keep it controlled and confined. And leave the lip of the pot sticking up maybe four or five inches so that the mint doesn't escape. Okay. Uh, now, I have a plant, this is new for me now, a plant of... Uriops. Uriops, yeah, okay. well done. Well, it's more to the person who, spelled it, who sent it in the text now, okay. well done, uh, which I had just love, okay, fab mm. colour last summer. It has lots of new growth, which I would love to use for slips or cuttings. What's the right time to take cooking cuttings? So tell us a little bit about Uriops. Well, Uriops is, um, it's the it's a yellow daisy-like flower. It's, it, it actually comes from South Africa. Okay. Um, very good plant. It's a very vigorous plant. So it, you buy it as a small little plant and you think it'll never do anything. It's got these small yellow, bright yellow daisy-like flowers. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure there's a common name for it, uh, but Uriops anyways, is, it, it's sold as Uriops. Um, buy it as a small plant. It'll nearly quadruple its size in two Ooh, months. Whoa, so it, right. it's a great plant for filling uh, if you have a, you know, say a shrub board or a bed and you want to uh-huh. fill up a gap, then that yellow Uriops, it's in flower at the moment, just begin to flower. But the interesting thing about that plant, it nearly flowers t- for 10 months of the year. And even over the winter time, you'll get some flowers on it. It's one of just one of these plants that continues to produce new growth and new flowers over a very long, continuous 
basis. So it's got these bright daisy-like flowers. It produces them in hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of, of flowers. It forms a mound or a clump, um, anything depending on where you grow it, but anything up to, you know, from maybe two feet up to four feet. So on kind of richer soils, it'll grow that a little bit bigger. Um, and it's quite vigorous very colourful, great seaside plant, great plant in exposed areas. Um, it does, because South Africa, you know, if, <laughs> it needs the sun. It needs a bright, sunny location. And it's a bit like lavender. It likes that kind of gravelly soil, that Mediterranean type. So don't, be, don't be overfeeding it. Don't overfeed it. Don't have it in heavy, wet soil. Um, so somewhere kind of, you know, gravelly type soil, sandy type soil, uh, poorish type soil, it does very well. Yuri up. So very easy to grow. You could actually take cuttings of it now, even though it's in flower, um, take the pencil length, pencil thickness, strip off all the flower buds that are on the plant, dip it into rooting powder and stick it in a pot, maybe six or seven of them into a small mm. pot. Have the compost moist but not too wet and cover with a, co- a polythene bag and just sit it on a windowsill and it'll root in about a two-week period okay. and you get yourself new little plants. So it's one of those really easy plants to propagate. And does it only come in yellow or does it come it in It only comes colour? in yellow. It only comes in yellow. <laughs> Your ops. Yeah, yeah. It only comes in yellow. Um but it's 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 a real strong butter yellow. I mean it's the type of plant you'll spot a mile away. Right. When it's in flower. So very, you know, very eye catching, so. very easy to grow. So if the listener wants to slip it uh, or take cuttings of it, now is the time to do that. You can do it any time over the summer period and um st- start them off in little pots and then plant them out of doors and you know, it's again. It's not a plant that lives forever. So if you get two or three years out of it, it tends to die off. A bit like the lavender. A bit like the lavender. Yeah. So it is a good idea to propagate it every year and kind of bring it back. Um, but a great, great filler and a great. You know, it's one of those plants. You put it in, and within a couple of weeks, next thing it is filled up, an area in plenty of colour on it. Now, so Uriops. Okay. So from Uriops to cherry trees, Porik. My yeah. cherry tree has suckers at the base. I okay. removed them a few weeks ago, but they've resurfaced again. What can I do? Says Tommy. Tommy, you just have to persist with taking the suckers off um, and cherries do this because they're surf- very surface rooting so the roots are very close to the surface of the ground and you'll often get suckering right at the base or often it'll, they'll pop up maybe in the lawn or you know within a couple of feet of the actual root system. Um, you don't want to spray them because obviously the spray is going to affect the tree so really it's only to persist with it and try to cut the suckers or the branch close as close to the stem of the trunk as possible. So that's really the only thing you can do and keep persisting with it and eventually the tree will stop suckering (laughs) and give up uh, you know it's just something you need to persist with yeah but don't allow the suckers to to grow because they're just going to take over the tree they're more dominant it's the rootstock trees cherry trees are grafted so when you buy a cherry tree you're actually buying two cherry trees the the prunus canzan or charite the one that you actually want to flower is grafted onto a, a a common rootstock and particularly if the trees are under a bit of stress and you know again with the dry weather it could be actually a signal that the tree needs a good just a good heavy soaking because when a tree comes under stress the root structure often triggers itself into growth it tries to take over right. from the top portion of the plant it's as if the tree knows it's kind of self-preservation it is really and and that's where the suckering can occur and and that the the uh rootstock will be more dominant than the top portion of the tree and if you let it if you let the suckers grow I suppose what I'm trying to say they'll take over from the 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 actual tree tree you want so keep taking them off willow often has that as well the small weeping willows you'll often see suckers on the stem or standard roses if you've got standard roses in your garden they're the roses with the clean stem and all the roses on top they often produce little suckers along the stem as well so whenever they're evident and beginning to shoot you rub them with your hand or with the secateurs and just take them off don't allow them to grow now 
Now, uh, the weather is having a bit of an impact, not the usual kind of impact, but the reverse. Um, so we've got somebody with lovely thick red rhubarb before the fine spell, but okay. now it is all wilted due to the heat. What can they do to bring it back? Well, we mentioned this four weeks ago, didn't we? I was, you know, we were advising that yeah. rhubarb of all plants, it's it's 90% water, water yeah. and it's a plant that you just have to irrigate and water really heavily uh, when we get this sort of dry period. And people think the, you know, the little bit of rain we had last weekend, I mean, it didn't make it, it didn't make a dint in the, in the, in the uh, water, you know, it didn't do anything for plants no. really. They and do, he, yeah, they do need to be. It needs a week. We need a week of, of rain to, to bring it back to. to <laughs> but you know, it, it, people. You know, it, it, we are, we're often fooled into thinking right. that one night's rain. Dry, yeah. okay. You know, and particularly plants like rhubarb, they need. What I would do here is just literally take the hose, sit the hose on top of the plant, go in and have my breakfast or have a cup of tea or whatever, and Give go back half, half an hour. Half an hour is good soaking, and do repeat that maybe you know next Wednesday or Thursday again. You could also liquid feed it, and that'll trigger it back into growth again. So it's really just a shortage of, of water. water. So things are under a little bit of And somebody, is it, would it be a similar situation? Uh, brown leaves on a camellia? Would that be water Well, it, it could be, yeah. It could be, particularly if it's in a pot. Um, if it's in a pot or container, it could certainly uh, dry out um, and, and that would show up as, as browning of the leaves. And camellias are one of those. They're a woodland plant, as I always say, and they, they need, they love plenty of moisture, like rhododendrons. Um, so really, I suppose the message is, if you've got plants in containers, in particular, if you've got newly planted plants or just those plants that like hostas need plenty of moisture, astilbes, rhubarb, there are certain plants that just, our old ureops doesn't need a drop of water. <laughs> you know, so there are certain plants that do that, really I'm well. I'm liking that ureops when, a lot. When I was at Bloom yesterday, a lady came up to me and she was talking to me about geraniums and her geraniums. Her problem was that the geraniums got so big and tall and there was no flower. Right. So they're doing lots of vegetative growth and, there was, and she was saying to me where's the flowers when are the flowers going to come and when we got chatting about it she was watering them every day right. so and she was just giving them too much she was literally just forcing them on and they were you know they were, they so some, some plants respond well to a lack of water and, and that's what my advice to her was to just cut back on the watering that would trigger the geranium to come into flower and just to keep it a little bit more on a, a dry basis for geraniums but are, there are certain plants that need plenty of moisture and particularly fruiting burying plants uh, fruit in general like rhubarb yeah. and, and all the and I suppose one. think about what is in the fruit or in the plant so exactly. if, it's a, if, if it's a very moisture heavy plant it probably needs it a needs lot it. of moisture yeah. yeah it does Yeah, same with vegetables potatoes in particular they need plenty of moisture as well so you know again in the next couple of weeks if we find that June is dry you do need to irrigate those type of plants um, so just it's just keep an eye on things and again, as I always say, it's watering the soil rather than watering the plants. So you, a heavy soaking is better than... Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that you're out there throwing water on every day. You know, it, it's better to put the hose on, water heavily, and then leave it for a couple of days, maybe a week, yeah. 10 days, and go back and water again. Okay, because we don't want to drown them either. No. We used zero on our lawn to get rid of moss. The lawn has now turned black. Is this Well, the moss has turned black. The moss has turned black. The lawn hasn't really I would be very black. surprised yeah, if the grass has turned black because the zero doesn't have that or shouldn't have that effect. But it is normal. It is normal for, for the moss to go black, absolutely. Um, so the next step, really, I mean, the listener has done the right thing, get rid of the moss. And particularly with the dry weather, it's a good idea to actually do that. Uh, the moss is under stress at the moment, so it's a very easy time to get rid of it. Um, so the zero will have turned it black. Give it a feed now, put on a little bit of the Osmo lawn feed, again with the showers this is exactly what we want, it'll wash it in and um, the grass will perk up it'll, you shouldn't have to rake the lawn unless it's very heavy and within a couple of weeks your lawn will be back in good condition again 
I'm admiring the hanging baskets at the show and I'm right. wondering, am I too late to plant my own? What's your advice? I know you're in a, there's plenty of time yet to, to plant um, and that was actually one of the, the, the talks I was doing is, is doing up hanging baskets. So um, plenty of time to, to plant them. Remember the baskets will stay in flower until November. So if you plant them up now, they're going to look smashing by the end of June and you've got all of July, August, September, October to, to, to enjoy, enjoy them. them. So plenty of time to plant them. The baskets in bloom, there's a, um, a walkway from one of the uh, cafe areas hmm. um, and there must be 30 or 40 baskets up on it and, and they were planted back in February. Now they're beautiful, they're absolutely a ball of colour but mm. that's why they're so good, they were planted back early but th- it's still, you've got plenty of time. It's amazing what three or four weeks at this time of year with the long day length and the heat, how quickly plants come on. So I would highly advise people to still continue planting window boxes, containers in general, you know, the trading petunias. Yeah. And even though you see them, you'll see them up on, on shops now at the moment. But remember that they were planted months back, but it's that's, still, you've still plenty of time to do up containers and put out bedding plants in general. Now, I know we talked a bit about caterpillars at the very start, but mm. just very briefly, what's the best control for green fly on roses? Uh, just seems to be loads of flies this year. Well, on there the are. Roses. I mean, it's just down to the heat that we're having. And I see it on, even on, on common trees like sycamore are covered in aphids this year. Um, roses in particular, a good ad- a piece of advice for people is is to maybe switch. So if you're using rose clear, switch over to something like rose rescue. So use a, a different product. Uh, periodically because sometimes the the bugs build up a bit of a resistance to the same if you're using rose clear all the time it's a bit like taking the same the medicine I mean, like antibiotics exactly where, where people become, yeah, so immune to it. Um, if you're using predominantly one or the other then maybe get yourself a small little bottle of something different so rose rescue is a very similar treatment but has a different active ingredient than rose clear and if you've one you know so maybe once a month just switch them around um, but really just persevering with with the uh, treatments uh, you know just again maybe every fortnight it sh- should be sufficient to keep uh, the bugs at bay now I have a large area to the rear of my garden to plant I want some privacy from neighbours and I'd like some colour what would you plant for an area like this or how do I start Right, well... Um, draw well, it out, maybe. Draw it out, yeah. And, and you know, again, I, I always say that the cheapest thing to uh, way to plan a garden is to do it on paper. Mm-hmm. You can roll it up and chuck it away and start again. So, you know, plan it out on paper, certainly. You know, it's a good time of year as well to take a view of what other people are doing, other hedges in the area, other plants in the area. And that's why, I suppose, Bloom is great. You can go and ask about different plants. And what's catching your own eye? Exactly. Um, the other thing you can do is, I think we mentioned last week, if you wanted, you could take a picture, a digital photograph on your phone of the area and send that into me into uh, com or bring it into the garden centres. And we'll superimpose a solution onto it. So you can have a virtual one before, a virtual you, before you put a plant into the ground at all. Exactly. And it's a great way just to visualise what the space can look like. So just take a digital photograph of the area of the bed or the area. We can superimpose a hedge into it and then put in some plants so that you can actually see visually what the physical area will look like. So you'll actually be looking at your own, that garden space. So you'll see the hedge. You'll see it, how it obscures the neighbour's garden, how the privacy. So that'll actually, you'll be able to see that on the photograph. And then trees and planting. Um, so it's a great time of year, I suppose, to get ideas from other gardens or visiting, you know, if you're visiting shows or whatever, but also to bring in maybe a digital photograph and um, we'll give you a recommendation. That's great and stuff. that service is free of charge, so there's no charge for that. 
Now, I've dahlias for the last 20 years. The tops and halfway down have turned yellow. This has never happened before. Why is this? Mm, it's very is unusual. Is that a bit of a mystery? Well, it, it what springs to my mind, and, you know, I'm a bit reluctant to say it, but, I mean, to holding the plants for 20 years, first of all, is fantastic. To have dahlias that, that length. They might not owe you anything. Well, it's nice. Do they go on they can, There's no reason why they cannot, particularly if you're lifting them uh, every year and you're dividing them and you're, you're propagating so you're them. you're minding them. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes they can get a virus and viruses generally show up as yellowing in the foliage. Okay. So it, this kind of, like a variegated plant. That For, for many of the variegated plants that you, you purchase, they have actually been uh, purposely injected with a virus to get that coloration. Um, so, you know, plants are often modified um, on nurseries to, to get that coloured variegation. So when you see yellowing in, in plants, um, particularly in the young growth, and this is in the top growth, it could be a sign that there's a virus there. Now, I'm also very mindful that the weather has been quite dry. Plants like dahlias, they do like plenty of moisture. They like plenty of feeding at this time of year. So the first thing I would do is give it a good heavy watering, liquid feed it with something like the Osmo Universal or one of the liquid feeds. See how it responds to that over the next two to three weeks. And if the colour starts to come back, then they'll be perfectly okay. If the yellowing continues, then you possibly have a virus in the plants and those plants will have to be discarded. Okay. And would that virus spread to other plants? It would. And, and uh, the reason I, I'm, I'm thinking about it is that it, obviously that listener has been saving those plants every year, possibly dividing them. And sometimes when you're cutting the plants, you can, if you're using a dirty knife yeah. or you're, you're, you're cutting one dahlia and you're moving on to a different type, you're passing a virus from one to the other. Okay. So you can actually, like in a surg- surgical environment, you can actually pass yes. bacteria and diseases. So it's like infection prevention and control. Is, <laughs> yes, it is. Now, you know, we have to keep it simple with the plants. Okay. So it could be with the virus. Now, again, if the listener wanted to take a picture of that of the plants, maybe send it in to me. I'll have a look at it, and I'll, I'll know by looking at it whether it's virus or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly, um, it's. I would, in the short term, water feed them well. See the will will they respond to that? If they're if the virus is in them, they won't, and they'll remain yellow, and that's a sure sign. And those those tubers should be disposed of. Right. Yeah, okay. so it may not be all the plants. Yeah. I have a hydrangea that I sowed when in flower in late May. The flowers are dying off, but the leaves are eaten. Is the plant dead? No. No, and remember that plant, hydrangeas normally only come into flower at this time of year. And and even it's normally a little bit later than this. So um, that's a plant that you purchased that was forced so it was food. So it was early. It was early. It was in a greenhouse or, or a, in a greenhouse environment, artificially heated and lighted to bring it into flower in, in April and May. So naturally enough, it's it thinks the summer is over because the flowers so are beginning it, to go over. It's gone into its autumn period already. It is really, and the, the the bit of damage on the leaf could be slugs, could be snails, could be a little bit of caterpillar damage. That's fine. What I would do is just deadhead the plant, take the old flowers off it, start to liquid feed it. It'll come back into growth. You get plenty of new growth. It won't flower this year, right. but you'll build it up for next summer. And that plant will come back into flower naturally in the middle of June next year. So okay. it'll be perfectly fine. Um, it's just, you know, we often do it for Mother's Day, for example, uh, bring hydrangeas into flower early, fool them into thinking it's summertime, just have a bit of colour. A bit of colour. Yeah. So it's, it's perfectly fine. Liquid feed it, water it well, 
encouraging you growth, deadhead the old flowers and you'll have an amazing show of colour this time next summer. Okay, now I know we cover this fairly frequently on the programme, but obviously it's a question that comes up fairly often. Uh, a new lawn, somebody sowing a new lawn. Mary is in Ballina, so she's just had the topsoil installed. So they're wondering, would it be best to sow the lawn now or do they use weed killer first? Okay, well, if they're, if they're bringing in topsoil, well, yeah. obviously there'll be no visible weeds mm. there. There'll be no visible, you know, so if it's just clean soil or, or what looks like clean soil. Uh, there's no point spraying it with any weed killer because there's nothing physically to kill at the moment. What I would do in the weather at the moment is perfect for getting the soil conditions right. So Mary should get the soil in, take out any rubbish, any any stone, any clogs of weeds or roots of weeds as much as possible. Firm the soil down. So when you finally, at the final raking, you should be able to walk across the lawn without sinking in any one area. You leave a footprint, but you won't sink down. So the fo- the soil needs to be firm underfoot and um, and, and levelled as much as possible, removing as much stone and debris and rubbish that's there. I would leave that then for possibly three weeks, four weeks, let it settle in. And during that period, the weeds are going to show themselves. So the weeds will start to germinate over the June period. At that stage, when the weeds are two to three inches high, apply something like Weed Free 360 over the entire lawn area because you'll have a crop of weeds at that stage. The weed free will work within seven to ten days in killing off any weeds that are there mm. without contaminating the soil. And then you put on your lawn seed and fertilizer, put on a preceding feed and, and some fertilizer. So get the soil ready now is my advice. Once you have it raked and leveled, leave it for three to four weeks for the weeds to show themselves, then treat them and then put in the lawn seed. And at that stage, you'll have eliminated 70 or 80% of the weeds that are going to come anyway. So it's a great way of doing it. Now, what I will do, Deirdre, I have a fact sheet on sowing lo- new lawns, and I'll put that up on our uh, Facebook, on the Hawkins Facebook page, and I'll put it up on my own Twitter account. So at least people have a fact sheet, and can, it brings you through the steps of what to do in sowing a new lawn. Because this is a great time of year for sowing lawns in general, particularly for getting the soil ready, with the dry weather and then when you get some rain promise that's the time to put in the seed and you'll have a fabulous lawn but certainly I'd get the soil ready first leave it for the three or four weeks to let the weeds show then spray it and then and then you'll have a and then sow the seed and you'll have a great lawn before autumn Okay one or two to finish up a couple of onion questions Parikh after pulling onions why do they start going bad at the stem after about two or three months Uh, they're kept inside on a board and somebody else's onion sets in since the first week in April and there's poor bulb growth Okay so first first of all in the storing of onions um, the key thing would some varieties some varieties store better than others so um, you know, so so for example, there's a variety called Sturon, which stores extremely well. Other varieties like Stuttgart or Giant will only store for maybe a month or six weeks. So the, the variety of bulb that you select, some are just better for storage. They've less moisture matter, there's more dry matter in the onion, so you have less chance of it rotting and, and going off. So first of all, the selection of the variety you sow is important. The other thing is when you're har- harvesting onions, to dry them as much as possible. So if you've got somewhere like a greenhouse or a very sunny patio area, somewhere that the sun is nearly baking them for a couple of days Mm. or maybe a week before you put them into the normal storage area. Mm. So trying to reduce as much dry matter as possible also helps with that, um, the longevity of storage. But to get two or three months out of them is not bad, to be honest. Um, You know, but as I say, some varieties like Sturon, store an awful lot better and maybe select those those varieties um, 
you know, so in, and so in terms of storage, it's really drying them out really well, and then before putting them into the the area that the listener has them, and and then maybe for next year, looking at that Sturon variety in particular is a very good one. Uh, in terms of the growth of onions, onions need lots of nutrition, and they need lots of moisture as well as as they're growing. So again, what I would do with the listener that has poor growth on the onions is to liquid feed them. So get, again, a small bottle of, of um, Osmo or tomato feed even and put that on. So water them heavily and then give them a good feed and feed them two weeks later and you'll build the bulbs up. Okay, great. We're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Time has caught up with us. So anybody that's in travelling to Bloom tomorrow, remember I'm on the Garden Expert stage. At, the Garden Expert stage. That's where I am. Great. Yeah, the Garden Expert stage at... at- quarter to one okay and I'm there around three o'clock as well you'll see you'll see it it'll be posted up and then normally give an announcement um, and garden design and instant colour okay you never know topics. we and might organise ourselves yet. and I'm there on Monday as well okay great stuff well look enjoy the last uh, couple of days of bloom Thanks, uh, we'll be good morning to you